Welcome to Haystack Help Radio. Thank you so much. Welcome to Food Chat, a weekly show that's all about food production, including farming, ranching, processing, and basically all things involved in getting food from the field to your plate. Now, let's get you reconnected to your food, and here are your hosts, Greg Bloom and Chef Jackson Lamb. Talk about an uphill battle, 2,000 acres of beans and cattle. He don't ever get rattled. He just goes to the sun goes down. Hello and welcome to another edition of Food Chat. Food Chat, sponsored by RanchFreshMeats.com, is brought to you every week on KLZ Radio 560 on your AM dial. Your hosts, Greg Bloom and myself, Jackson Lamb, Always available to share with you our intimate knowledge of the food industry. My background is a chef and restaurant manager. Greg's background, rancher, farmer, importer, exporter of agricultural goods. We've got all of the answers. We just don't know your questions. Welcome to Food Chat. Greg, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. What a fun show this will be it's today. It's going to be a great show. We're going to be talking about how to select and cook roasts because, you know, this time of year it's winter. The holidays are coming up and now it's a great time to, you know, invite your friends, your family over and serve them up a great holiday roast. But how do you cook it and how do you pick the right one? You know, Greg, it's kind of interesting to see the transition in all of the local supermarkets. You know, they, they gear up for Halloween and all of a sudden all, all that stuff has gone and then it's turkey time and you know within one or two days after Thanksgiving they are set for Christmas right. and you can see the inventory changes dramatically now I'm seeing you know not pork chops but pork roasts I'm not seeing uh, lamb chops but big legs of lamb mm-hmm. I'm seeing those big roasts that you're describing here and that really is very typical of the, the holiday season. Yeah, and on the food service side, you know, my chefs um, all have switched over to their winter menu, and that winter menu has things on there that their regular menu doesn't, like uh, osobuco, you know, and a lot of roasts, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, just stuff that's going to be, you know, comfort food in the winter when you're freezing cold, that kind of stuff. You know? Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I've tried to teach in the past in class and the students really don't have the exposure to it anymore, is the steamship roast and the, what's the other one? Well, the steamship roast, if people don't know what that is, you know, I used to sell those when I worked for a meat plant, and we'd get special requests for a steamship roast, and that's a, a round roast, so it's the end of the animal, the round from the hind, but with the bone left in, and then the, the bone actually has a handle on it. Because you could, it's a carving station roast. Yeah. So that's what you're referring to, right? The that's exactly ship. correct. Yeah. And, you know, unless you're going to brunch or dinner at the Broadmoor or the Brown Palace or, you know, a big hotel or a big brunch place, you know, regular restaurants don't uh, put that one up. I asked a guy at a meat conference once, an old timer, how did the steamship roast get its name? And he said it goes all the way back to the days when they were steamshipping up and down the Mississippi River. And that was a very common thing for them to serve the guests on the steamship would be a carving station roast. And to this day, a lot of cruise liners will still serve that in the buffet. So that's where it got its name from. One of the great things about it is, you know, as we have 100 people coming through the buffet, how do you like yours? Rare. We go right to the bone, right. you know? How do you like yours? 
I like it medium well. We go to the other side where it's not cut yet, and it's still well done, and then medium well, and then medium. So we can find any cut on a steamship roast. Yeah, and on a, on any roast, you can find the right cut. And what I do when I serve roasts at my house to guests, and I did this over the weekend, is I make cut that roast, and then I cut it in half. And I do a carving station where I'm there with my apron on, and I'm serving my guests as if they're in a restaurant. And I say, how would you like your roast beef, Chef Jackson Lynn? Would you like a medium, rare, or rare? And if they say, I want one that's you know medium, rare, rare, I cut it out of the middle. And then someone comes along and says, I would like mine kind of well done. Well, I got the end cut right there, done for them. You know? So it's just easy to do it that way. That's a better way to present it because it stays warm and it looks so nice than to cut it all up into yeah. steak and then like let them help themselves that's not the right way to do it absolutely and then on the smaller side we've got what was what's called a baron of beef and that really is a top round or a bottom round whole um separated bone is taken out of there right so that instead of you know let's go backwards just for a second and i've worked these big steamship roasts we're talking a 70-pound piece of meat. Feed a lot of people. Oh, it takes a, I'll, I'll tell you what, this has to be in the oven minimum 12 hours, if not more. Yeah, right. So when we drop down to the baron of beef, that's usually just a top round. So now we're talking about a 20-pounder. One person can handle that. Yeah, and that will fit in their oven. You know, no one's going to buy a steamship roast and fit it in their kitchen oven. Uh, so, yes, let's talk about the roast from one end of the animal to the other. Let's talk beef first. Okay. Let's switch over to lamb and pork, but... As far as beef roasts go, there are many co- options, right? So yeah. you've got your, we talked first about the round roast, the steamship, and the baron of beef. Those are super lean roasts, no fat in them at all. They're great for roast beef. They're great for carving, but they don't have the flavor, I don't think, that like a rib roast or a chuck roast would have. So what do you think about the chuck roast for like pot roast or for a, a, a carving station roast versus a round roast like the baron of beef? Well, you know, the thing is, uh, we were talking about the steamships. We were talking about the barons. Really the same cut. Exactly. We take that baron of beef and we trim that down even more. And now we've got a top round roast. And so, and you talked about getting that uh, boned, rolled, and tied. Yes. You know, so you can go into uh, some, some of the local butcher shops here in Denver and have that done so it is oven ready. And we're talking the same cut of meat, all right? Yep. But let's move a little forward there on the, uh, uh, on the uh, cow. Uh, yeah, on the, the carcass. Steer. Yeah, on the carcass. Sure. You know, I the, the, the I think the chuck is the one of the most rip, misrepresented muscles on on the entire animal, only because, you know, we've got that. Um, is that where we help me out with my uh, Latin terms? It's uh, the terrace. Terrace major. Terrace major. The terrace major is in the chuck roast. Yeah, yes. So is the flat iron. Comes exactly. Out of the chuck. And yeah. so, you know. That's a very interesting story. The yes. USDA Meat Buyer's Guide. Mm-hmm. That was established over 100 years yeah, ago. Yeah, it's an old, old book. It's old, and, and, and while we still use it, and it, it's really what we use to buy meat in America, and that's why the meat is cut differently in Mexico, okay? Right, right. Completely different. But 100 years ago, they didn't have the research techniques that we see today, and they... The chuck is a great example. That's a pretty big muscle. 
Let's go back in there and take another look at that and see if there's. it's not as tough as we think it is. And that's how we discovered the Terrace Major. Right. They found that in that chuck, uh, two-piece chuck, there's the clod and the roll. And inside that, there's three muscles that can be separated from it. One of them was the Terrace Major. Yep. One of them was the flat iron. But I love the chuck roast for uh, pot roast, like in the crock pot. I don't like it as much as I like a round roast or a other roast, like a rib roast or a top sirloin roast, because there's a lot of fat in it, and there's a lot of seams in it. So you can't get a chuck roast, uh, typically, and just carve it like you're carving for a prime rib. Your guests are going to get some sinew, and unless you seamed out the pieces, it's not the best option, unless yeah. you're just going to cook it all day in the crock pot. Then it all falls apart anyway, right? Well, and I think it's very important that we understand a little bit of uh, food science behind all that you know we can you can have you can have a piece of tenderloin that's not trimmed properly it's going to be tough right you know so you know coming back to the chuck it's my new favorite muscle it really is i'll tell you here's a great story uh local supermarket had chuck roast on sale 395 well you know you go in there and it's not like we have you know terrific butchers there they're just kind of slicing stuff up mm-hmm. in big chunks and putting it in the in the uh, wrapping it up putting it on the on display but i'm walking through and i recognize there's the that entire terrace major cut out and in its own packaging right i recognize the muscle i took it home and uh, we sous vide it for about two hours and then uh, pan seared it for about 10 or 15 minutes as tender as tenderloin steak. Oh, yeah. Oh. Just delicious. Yeah, in fact, the chuck muscle, the terrace major, I believe is the second or third most tender muscle on the yeah. on the beef carcass. Well, let's talk about um, the two other, between the chuck and the round, you have the ribs, you know, right behind the chuck on the carcass is the ribs, and then, then you have the sirloin. So yeah. we'll talk about that just briefly, and then we'll talk about cooking methods, like how is the best way, what is the best way to cook these? So we've got the chucks, and then we've got right behind it the uh, rib, the ribeye. So people would mostly in the, I think in the HRI, the restaurant industry, they call it a ribeye. I need a ribeye to make a prime rib. Consumers out there, they call it a, 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 a you know, prime rib. Right. I want a prime rib. Well, you really want a lip a lip on ribeye. Right. What is a lip on? That means there's a tail on it. What's that mean? That means there's a one inch piece of fat at the end, right? Yeah. So on the on the side, the lifter, the lifter, right? So um, that's on the end of it. So typically, when you go into anywhere to buy your your rib roast, you know you're going to want to look for a fresh roast that has just like a steak some age on it. Don't get one that was uh, you know. A week old. You you want it in the cryovac or the vacuum sealed bag that's been there for you know twenty to thirty days because that enzymes and bacteria is breaking down. It's going to taste lovely. People that go to, out to eat for the holidays. We did a whole show on whether to cook at home or whether to go out. Right? If you go out and have a prime rib, that chef has aged that prime rib in the bag, in the vacuum bag for probably twenty to thirty days before he cooked it. Right. right? The real trick there, Greg, is to get to the meat. Before the store does. That's right. Because they're going to cut that bag open because a lot of times people are not looking for a 12-pound prime rib 109, you know. They want a half of a prime rib or they want a quarter of a prime rib. Just two bones is all I want. And so as a result, um, it's not in that cryovac bag. Well, that's okay. You know, old school on prime rib is you know, you'd start in a hot oven, turn that down and have it crusty on the outside and rare on the inside. There's so many other cooking methods that we're seeing today that um, 
that sometimes the oven is the last place we go. Right. So let's just finish the uh, options for roast. There's tenderloin roast. There's top sirloin roast. There's uh, The top sirloin has two pieces. One, the biggest piece is called the football or the heart or the center. And then there's a cap on the top that's called a culotte or a picanha. And at ranchfreshmeats.com, you can actually buy a wagyu culotte or a wagyu picanha, just the top. One of the most flavorful steak experiences you'll ever have is eating that picanha or that culotte. And we'll talk about cooking methods next. But anyway, there's lots of great options. Sure. Anything else you want to talk about before you start talking about cooking methods? Well, let's just keep working our way down the uh, down the hind quarter. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, as we get down there, now we're talking load-bearing muscles. Right. Now we're talking tougher cuts of meat. So, right. you know, when we're talking about the holidays, these are probably not... You know, the, you know, beef shank, you know, well, oso buco, that's, uh, that's where that comes into if play. If you braise it, cook it low and slow all day long in liquid, it's delicious. But Absolutely. It has to, it's like a brisket. It has to cook for a long time, a yeah. low temp, yeah. And then you come around to the, the chest of the animal, and we, we do have the brisket. And yeah. so, again, low and slow, that's a tough, tough piece of meat. And if you try to rush it, you'll never get good results. You know, that's got to go low and slow. You're right. Now, we've talked of beef this whole time, but there's other roasts. There's, what other roasts are there if they want to serve another, another uh, type of roast? I just saw advertised in the paper Sunday, bone-in pork roast. Yes. All right? So for those of you out there that like your pork chops, well, here they're all put together. They're not cut yet. And so, you know, a, uh, a bone-in pork roast, you know, it's the same skeletal structure as the beef. Exactly right. You know, so we've got a loin there that's surrounded by a, a series of rib bones, if you will. Right. And, you know, any time that we have an opportunity to cook any meat while it's still on the bone, we really get a lot more flavor that yum, way. Yum. You were describing a, a prime rib technique where they remove the bones, but then they bring the bones back in and then wrap it to make a prime rib roast so you can get that flavor of the bones in there. Yeah, here in Denver, you could go to like Tony's Meats or Edwards Meats or Sam's Meats or any of these custom family-owned meat stores, and you could go in and ask them for a bone-in ribeye roast or a bone-in prime rib and then cut and tie it. So they cut the bone off. And so it's boneless now, but then they tie it back on so you can cook it with the bone on, which imparts flavor. But then when you're done cooking, you pull it out of the oven, you let it rest. You don't have to try to cut it out yourself, which can be a little tricky. And if you've got guests and everyone's hungry, it's a little precarious, right? <laughs> like trying to carve the, the turkey with hungry guests you know, while you're doing it. But you can just cut the string and the bone falls right off and you can cut your boneless roast. But you still got the flavor from the bone infused into the meat. You know, you really described a funny situation there, but yeah, the uh, a, a pork crown roast, you know, that's, that's a... Delicious. Well, it looks gorgeous, and you know, what happens is the, uh, they clean up the bones that are exposed. It's called Frenching the Bones, where they're clean so that when they bake off, they go white. It looks beautiful, but Greg, as you know, it's not a a straight cut all the way to the other side. There's a couple of knuckle bones in between those rib bones that mm -hmm. are hard to negotiate. Yeah. You were kind of, it was kind of funny the way you were describing it, but you know, sometimes it is challenging to try to cut that in front of 
a crowd. Yeah, you don't want a big knife like a big long ten inch knife because you got to go left, you got to go right. Yeah, you got to yeah. maneuver through that knuckle to get to the bottom, and you can do it. But if you don't have a little bit of skill, uh, you might just give up and look for a chainsaw or something. And you know. or, or you just have to have the right skinny blade knife, a boning knife, if you will. You know, but then if the bones are too much of a hassle, we can just go with a pork loin roast. It's a boneless. It's the same roast. Those bones are removed. Very popular in all the stores. That can be baked off in the oven. That could be with uh, baked with apples and, and cinnamon and brown sugar. You know, another great alternative uh, in the world of roasts. Yeah, and you know, I love the pork loin roast, but the problem with some pork loin roasts is they're just too lean. They don't have any marbling in them. That's why you want to look for a Duroc or a Berkshire uh, breed of, of pork because it's just so much more marbling. But you know, a winner every single time, and you're never going to go wrong, is with a pork tenderloin roast. Very small. The pork tenderloin, you know, they're only what, six, seven, eight inches? But with two pounds. They're That's two all. pounds. They're small. Yeah. But, and they cook really fast. You don't want to. 20 minutes. 20 minutes. But would you salt and pepper and garlic and in the oven at 350 for whatever 20 minutes? They are the most wonderful, tasting, tender, delicious roast you'll ever have. Yeah. You know, you talk about with other meats, uh, they're very lean. This is lean, but flavorful. Very flavorful. Very good. Yeah. You know, hey, going back to the pork loin, you know, uh, the old technique growing up, we'd have uh, maybe a, uh, a whole ham at Christmas, you know? Mm -hmm. My grandmother would take the knife and she'd score the fat on the outside of the ham, go both ways, make a diamond-shaped pattern. That's where the cloves go and get stuck in there. All right. But really, part of the scoring of the fat is to let the fat drip into the meat and add flavor. Yeah, So sure. that's another great technique if we're doing a, a boneless pork loin. It does have a nice fat cap on the top, and to go ahead and do a, a cross diamond hatch across the top might open up those membranes and let some of that fat come in. What other species of roast would you suggest? We've talked about pork. We've talked about beef. There's always lamb roast. What you know, you I'm, I'm a big lamb chop fan. Mm -hmm. um, but growing up, leg of lamb was the big item. And, uh, again, that would be a specialty item. You'd have to go to a butcher, not a supermarket. No. And you'd have to get that where oh, it's a leg of lamb. We don't want the bone. And they'd, again, bone rolled and tied. Yeah, in Denver, you can go to Marzik's. You can go to Locavore. You could go to Edwards Meats. You could go to any of the Tony's Meat Store. You could go to uh, Pete's Produce and Fruits over in Denver. Yeah. Uh, and, and all of them are going to have a BRT lamb leg roast. Sure bone rolled and tied. Those are delicious. And, you know, if you've ever had a bad experience with lamb, like when I was growing up, my mom would serve lamb once in a while. And then I learned as I got in the meat business as an adult, I wasn't eating lamb like young lamb. I was eating old mutton, like these old spent, very old, very gamey. Very, you know, that's why they had to serve it with lots of mint dressing on the top, mint jello. Yuck. But, you know, fresh young lamb, which is Colorado's known for, yeah. the lamb that we produce, that is just delicious. Yeah. Complete. You know, the irony of that whole lamb industry, and again, if you've ever been on the western slope and watched them move from summer pasture to winter pasture, phenomenal. It is really, it really is a Colorado scene. But I've taken a tour over at Superior Lamb up there on North Washington, 90% of their lamb 
gets processed and shipped to the East Coast. Yeah. Yeah. The coasts eat the, and that's probably because the people on the coast eat more lamb than the people in the interior. A lot of that has to do with the, the population ethnicity, the demographics, you know, Mediterranean people, people coming from uh, the Middle East, or if you grew up in Israel, or if you grew up at any of the, you're, you're used to eating lamb because lamb is kosher and halal both and uh, just delicious. I have actually been to a, a farm in Durango area uh, where they actually hire shepherds still to, they're, out, they're actually cowboys, but they still call them shepherds. And they're 24/7 with those uh, the sheep up in the in the mountains yeah. in the summer and then they bring them down in the fall and then bring them down to the lowlands where they can watch them you know because they can't survive in the but they, it's just amazing still how it's just still you know old school the way they raise those lambs back and forth from the mountains to the plains it's cool it is amazing and again superior lamb what a facility that is I mean here it is right in the middle of downtown Denver yep. and uh, you know if you're a uh, a lamb rancher, you know, it's just nice to have a facility like that l- locally available. Yeah, any supermarket you're going to, if you want to buy the freshest local lamb you can buy. Now, all the meat shops I mentioned already all already buy their lamb from Superior. But the chains, it depends. They buy on price. Yeah. But, uh, you can just look. It'll say right there on the package where it's made. So so we talked about lamb. We've talked about pork. I think we've pretty much got it covered. There's also the more exotic one. Like you can go to any of these meat stores and order a bison ribeye or a bison tenderloin. Or actually you can go into, into and King Supers and actually find good local bison. Not as a roast so much. Although I have seen that they'll do a, a chuck roast that you could throw in the crock pot. So, But we're almost at the point where we really need to switch over to cooking methods. How do you cook a roast perfect every time and not mess it up? I'm talking, let's, let's talk about a prime rib roast. All right. The, first of all, the answer to the question is, it depends. <laughs> and it depends on um, the weight that you're trying to cook here. Correct. You know, we started the show off by talking about a steamship roast, 70 pounds, Minimum 12 to 15 hours in the oven, you know? Yeah. Um, and then we talked about all those other roasts. But with regardless of whatever roast it is, my technique is to start off in a very hot oven, maybe 400 degrees, um, just because we know that it's never going to get any hotter than during that preheating step. Right. All right? We pop our roast in the oven, whether it's a leg of lamb or it's a, a, a prime rib or whatever it might be. That initial blast of hot air helps kind of sear the outside of the meat. It's not seared like in a hot uh, 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 saute pan, but it's going to help lock in uh, some of the juices and the flavor of that meat. And I let it go at that 400 degree temperature for maybe 15 minutes. Then I'm going to bring it down to maybe 375 or 350, depending on the size of the meat. The smallest one we talked about today was the, uh, the pork tenderloin. I would come down to 325 on that because it's going to be done in 12 to 15 minutes. Right. Well, I think for most ribeye roasts, you know, you're going to want to put the oven, like you said, uh, at a high temp and then bring it down after it's kind of formed like a, uh, an outside seal on the on yeah. the roast. But uh, how, how would you season it? Just real simple seasoning ideas before you put it in the oven. So they've opened up their roast from the package. They've patted it dry. They don't need to wash it in the sink. Just pat it dry. And then, then what? You know, it's uh, salt and pepper all around for yep. sure. Yep. Um, but I've seen techniques where you take... 
um, garlic cloves. Yeah. And then you'll make slits in the meat and stick that in there with your thumb because in the roasting process, that flavor leaches out into the meat. Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. a pretty interesting technique there. Right. Um, again, if it's a prime rib roast, I'm thinking that I almost set it up like a turkey at Thanksgiving. Yeah. I want to bring in um, carrots and onions and uh, celery as a base. All right. I'm going to add a little water to that. I want to add a little moisture so I don't have a dry product. But ultimately, am I tr- do I need a gravy at the end or do I need some sort of a sauce? So that's why I want to make sure that I have that what we call mirepoix uh available because I can take that, add water, add red wine, add beef stock, and I can make a great gravy out of that. Yeah, if I'm making uh, a roast with no gravy, I might put more salt, like kosher salt and coarse ground pepper and like fresh rosemary, and then I get the garlic that's already all chopped up, and I just make a paste uh, in a bowl, and I put that all over. But that's a little bit too much salt if I'm going to make a gravy later. So if I'm going to make a gravy, I don't, I back off that a little bit. Yeah. Now let's talk about, you know, you did mention the size of the roast, so important. Having a meat thermometer, so important. I use a internal meat thermometer that has a little cable that goes out the oven door, tells me the internal temperature of that roast. So I do not have to open the oven door ever to know if that roast is done. Because as soon as you open that oven door, you let all the heat out and you've just, you know, made it last longer. But what if, what if you don't have a meat thermometer? Then what do you do? Well, a couple of great stories for you. One is I can remember 30 years ago, I just moved into the neighborhood my neighbor comes over, it's Thanksgiving, and she says, do you have a thermometer that I could use on the turkey? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a chef, I probably got four or five of them. I said, yeah, no problem. So, you know, and typically these thermometers are, uh, you know, they're the long needle type. Mm-hmm. You can read it on the top, it's got a plastic cover on it. You stick it into the meat, you check the temperature, and then you pull it out of the meat, Right. okay? Well, my neighbor didn't know that. She's thinking that this is the same kind of thermometer that her grandmother had. That Oh, this must be glass in the front. So she puts it into the turkey, and she leaves it in the turkey for the duration of the roasting process. Uh-oh. Well, when she goes back in there four hours later, there's no longer a cover on the thermometer. It's melted onto the turkey. Yeah, it wasn't that kind of thermometer. No, it wasn't. So, so in other words, um, uh, buyer beware. And we see these thermometers available at your local supermarkets. They're really designed to take a quick temperature. You know, when we buy turkeys, they come with an internal thermometer that pops up when it's ready. Correct. But um, we don't have a, 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 a readable thermometer in our industry that does that. No. Okay? So you need to invest a couple man, a couple $10 bills into a reasonably good <clears throat> meat thermometer so that you're cooking that roast to the right internal temperature. Yeah. The last thing they need to know is that roast needs to rest. Why and for how long? You know, the term is called to re-therm. And as we're coming out of that 350-degree oven, all of the juices are all over the place. We want them to have equal distribution before we start cutting into this because we want every slice to be juicy. Yes. That's the trick. Okay. So, anyway. Well, we're out of time for Rose, so I appreciate uh, all your info. And I want to just tell the listeners, if you're looking for some great roasts, go to ranchfreshmeats.com. We have a ribeye prime rib, also known as a lip-on ribeye roast. They're 
quite expensive because they're Wagyu, but they're delicious. They're big. They're 12 to 13 pounds. They'll feed uh, at least 10 to 15 guests, or they'll feed your family for a week <laughs> if you buy a whole one. But also, the more affordable uh, picanhas, the kula, the, the top sirloin capros, they're a wonderful thing to serve anytime during the winter. So go to ranchfreshmeats.com to find those roasts. Great, Greg. Thank you. And uh, actually, maybe we can talk later. I can probably manufacture and supply coat hanger probes for those people that buy that roast. We'll have to add them to the website. Okay. Good to see you, Chef. Thank you very much. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Here's to the farmer that plants the fields and the spring that turn from green to that harvest honey. Hold one up for the banker downtown. Got him on his feet with handshake money. Here's to the farmer's wife that loves him every night. Raising a son, raising a daughter. They gather around the table, send it up to the father. Somehow they get closer when times get harder. Here's to the farmer. The views and opinions expressed on KLZ 560 are those of the speaker and do not necessarily reflect those of Crawford Broadcasting, the station, management, employees, associates, or advertisers. KLZ 560 is a Crawford Broadcasting God and Country station.